This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 255 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, the life of a listener. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, good morning, Helena. Good morning, Glenn. Is it rainy by you? Oh, it's been raining for days here in Florida. It's, uh, I think it's been raining on the whole East Coast. Everywhere that you know doesn't need rain is getting rain, and then the poor people out there in Arizona and Colorado who need it aren't getting it. Isn't that funny? We, we are getting, I mean, for, for it to be raining from Florida to Maine... For like the last four days, five days, it's been really kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, then, you know, out there in the West where they're getting 120 degrees and, for, and fires, uh, they're getting none. So we can share some of ours. Uh, we had three inches last night overnight. So, but the neat thing about Florida is, you know, with three inches, if you had three inches of rain or, you know, up in the Northeast or in Pennsylvania where we used to live, there'd be mud for a week. Yeah, I know. And here, you know, there's hardly a puddle. You know, so it's just all sinks into the sand. Now, are you sandy or do you have turf? We have turf. Yeah. We have turf. We have a, a like two feet of very rich topsoil. So things grow beautifully here, but like mud, mud grows beautifully here. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in it up to your ankles mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, in this this time of year, it's not too bad because there's a lot of, you know, the trees and the grass and the, everything needs water. So it's... You know, it rains and then the plant life absorbs all that water, but it just doesn't travel fast enough. It doesn't percolate fast enough through the, the ground. Well, Helena, we have a couple of, th- we have a guest on today's show. We're going on all the shows here on the Horse Radio Network. We're trying to get to know our listeners a little better because you and I have always said since we started this that we believe that every listener or every horse person has a story and that they're interesting stories. And, you know, you get to know them and you understand a little bit more about different parts of the country and the horses in those parts of the country and the people that, uh, that listen to these shows. And today we're going to be doing that. Uh, we have Elise Vandover Moat, there's a name, uh, who is from the Midwest, from St. Louis. She's going to be coming on and telling us about her life, and we're going to get to know her a little bit more. She's a big fan of the shows. And then uh, we're go- you and I are going to have a conversation. I found this list, the top 10 horse and pony buying mistakes. <laughs> Everybody that's listened to the show for a long time knows that Helena is a professional horse buyer. <laughs> and that Jennifer and I have bought a lot of horses over the years, and we've, I think we've made every one of these mistakes. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and have a conversation about that. But I wanted to mention first that this Sunday, July the 7th, you, you, can, uh, you can view one of the coolest things that's happening in the country this weekend, and it's called the Battlecast. And it's a 
the first time that you're going to be able to do this. It is the 150th anniversary of Gettysburg and the reenactment uh, that goes on every year at Gettysburg around that anniversary. Well, because it's the 150th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, they reenactors have come from all over the country, and it's going to be one of the largest reenactments that started today. Uh, today, I think we're recording this early in the week, and. Uh, they are come from all over the country. Some people, remember, we have had reenactors on the show, mm-hmm. and every one of those is going. So we, we have talked to people that from the West Coast, from the South, everywhere are going to this reenactment at Gettysburg. It's like the Super Bowl for them of reenactments, uh, this 150th anniversary. There, Helena, there are going to be over 40,000 reenactors there. 800 horses and two to 300,000 spectators. What? Yes, it's huge. Normally, wow. in a normal year, Gettysburg will get 100,000 spectators, and they were expecting two to three times that this year because it's. And, and Gettysburg, if you've ever been there, I don't know if you've been there, but the town itself is pretty small. You know, yeah. it's not a very big town. Yep. You get a lot of traffic. You're going to tie up traffic for <laughs> sure. Route 30 goes into there. There's going to be a whole new war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how they do it. They, what I was told is if you go in a normal year, plan to park a long way away and bring your bikes along, and you can actually ride to the reenactment pl- fields. Um, they say otherwise you're going to be walking a long way. So they said Maybe the event planners will have like shuttles or something. I don't know. This year it's going to be, you know, and then they begin rain, right? So it's going to be muddy. Yeah. Um, but it's huge. And this year, you don't have to go to the fight the two, 300,000 people. You can actually watch it on our website at horseradionetwork.com on Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to our website, uh, you know, like at 2 o'clock. Sign up. Uh, it's twelve ninety nine for a four-month subscription. And what that means is if you don't get to watch the whole thing on Sunday, it'll be on video and you can watch the various battles. They're going to have a whole bunch of different... Uh, 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 videos from the battles that are going on earlier in the week as well. This is going to be Pickett's Charge, what you're watching, which was the largest battle at Gettysburg. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, what basically happened is the two, there's this huge field uh, in at Gettysburg, and there were woods on both sides, and both armies came out of the woods and met in the middle. And it was one of the deadliest battles in the Civil War. So you can uh, watch that all. It's going to be on video. We're having a Gettysburg party here. And I'm going to hook the the uh, computer up to the TV. We're inviting people over. We're going to have snacks, and we're going to watch it from the comfort of our own home for only twelve ninety nine, which is cheaper than a ticket would be if you went. You know, so so it, we're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a Gettysburg party because you know we're real history nuts. Yeah, you are. But um, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so I'm very excited about. It. We're very excited about. You're it. real history nuts. Yeah, we have a whole bunch of people coming. We go to reenactments whenever they're close. Florida. Has what do you Florida. get out of it? What's what do you what's exciting for you about the just the whole thing? I mean, I mean just the, because they put you know well we were reenactors if you think about it when we had our acting company we did you know medieval um, you know we did kings and queens and jesters and jugglers so we were reenactors that's what we did yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think it's that just that whole thing and and how much <laughs> they put into this when they set up their camps and this will be that way all over Gettysburg. When they set up their camps, they set them up like they were back then in the tents and the cots and uh, they have sentries posted and they have people keeping, you know, they have sentries posted for the horses to make sure that their horses aren't stolen in the middle of the night. And 
it's just, you know, they do it like they cook like they cooked back then. They cook the food they did back then. These people really do live it. Uh, and it's just, it's just fascinating to see. That is pretty fun. Like we have um, up in New England, there's a um, there's a place called Plymouth Plantation, and it's yeah. it's life as it was back then in the seventeenth and eighteenth century. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is kind of cool to see that. So I guess I guess it's yeah, it's living history. I get that. Well, then you know the battles are cool too. You got cannons going off and muskets. You know, hundreds and hundreds of muskets firing all at the same time. It's and the boy and you comes out. Yes, there it <laughs> Jennifer is. loves it too. We all we just love it. My brother and his <laughs> wife love it, so we go together. Uh, you know, we go together to do it. Now, would I ever do that? I wouldn't want to be in that wool clothing in the heat of summer. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they hadn't invented, invented polyester yet or uh, <laughs> cotton. It was all wool. Oh, it must have been. It's got to be hot. But, you know, they what they do, too, an interesting little tidbit for you is that, you know, uh, Jamie asked this on the show the other day. She said, what happens with the guy's... Do they decide who dies? And they do beforehand. They decide who they dies. They decide who dies. And then, you know, when the shooting starts, you know, you, people are falling and dying. Well, if you're at the beginning of an hour-long battle, which the one in here in Florida la- takes that long, uh, and you're laying there for the whole time. So you just lay there. Now, what they do have is the nurses. They have uh, girls, you know, who did who really did nursing duties during the war, uh, would run, run around and check on everybody who, quote-unquote, gets hit. And he was laying there to make sure they really didn't get hurt for some reason, have a heart attack. <laughs> so or... these are fake nurses checking on fake soldiers who are fake who may dying. have had real injuries, yeah, who exactly. are fake dying, but who may have had real injuries. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I can get into that. That's fun. <laughs> so sure. it, that's why they do it. I asked the uh, asked one of them. He said, "Well, we have had guys have heart attacks and things like that because uh, a lot of them are older, so they want to make sure they're okay." But, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's going on. You can find it at horseradionetwork.com. Come and take a watch. Now, let's take a break for uh, our, for our commercial, and then we're going to come back with our first guest of the day, and uh, that is Elise Vandover Moat. She is a listener from St. Louis. She dropped me a very nice note on Facebook and said, I love your shows, and I listen all the time. And I said, good, you want to be on one? And she said yes. So we'll talk to Elise right after this. Fleeceworks manufactures pure Australian merino sheepskin and merino wool saddle pads and accessories. Their pads produce a vital thermal balancing layer to pull excess moisture and heat away from the horse's back, allowing muscles to work at maximum capacity without overheating. Fleeceworks Australian merino wool is breathable and hydrophilic, able to hold and store 35% of its own weight in liquid. A longtime staple of the medical field, Australian merino fibers have no equal when it comes to delivering a temperature-controlled, pressure-absorbing layer. The Fleeceworks philosophy, minimum bulk, maximum performance, and they have a variety of anatomically correct pads incorporating technologies and designs that address the individual needs of every horse and rider. Ask for Fleeceworks saddle pads and accessories by name at your local tack and feed store, or visit them online at fleeceworks.com. Well, hi, Elise, and welcome to the show. Well, hi, Glenn. Thank you, and hi, Helena. Hi. We're happy to have you. Look, you're all happy. She's happy to be here, Glenn. I know. It's happy, Like, Elise. really happy to be here. Happy Elise. <laughs> I am <Yeah>. happy. <laughs> we have happy I'm a Barbie. happy girl, though. We have happy Barbie in, in New Jersey. That's one of our fans. And now we have happy Elise. 
Yay! <laughs> well, at least we, we're doing more listener profiles as we go along here this year. We're really trying to get to know our listeners now. And you're in where? St. Louis? St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you always lived there? Yeah, my whole life, pretty much. I was born in Utah for whatever reason, and then my parents trucked here, and we've been here since I was two. How come everybody oh. that's born in Utah says that? For whatever reason, I was born in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> This is a horsey area, believe it or not. It's not a very sporting area. You know, we, we don't have as much sport as you guys do on the coast, but um, it's very, very horsey populated. Really? Yeah, I, it I is. It's, it's, you can get out of the city in 15 minutes and it gets very rural quickly. And so there's a lot of backyard owners. And there's good sport here, just not to the level that you guys see. Now, what kind of, is it English, Western, both? Um, I would say it's predominantly Western here, but we do have a healthy hunter-jumper population dressage and a good booming eventing population. I'm pretty active in my area for through USDA, former organizer of Queenie Park equestrian events, their horse trials. So that's been building very nicely as well. And that's my sport. I do eventing. Okay. Well, tell us uh, how you got into horses. Um, my grandmother was a rider and a fox hunter with Tidal Spur Foxhound uh, long, many moons ago. And I grew up kind of with my grandparents, and they lived next door to a, a Clydesdale breeding facility for the Bushes, and has a Bush family. And so, since I was very little, I just always had my head in a horse's head, and it just kind of progressed from there. She put me on the back, and I just sort of never got off. So I've been, you know, riding pretty competitively through Pony Club, etc., since like seven, and then never got out of it, much to my father's chagrin, never fell out of horses, <laughs> continued riding through college, and took a break to have a baby, and um, and then after that, just kind of got back in whole hog and made it my full-time deal. You had a human so, baby? Riding <laughs> I did have a human baby. He's we 17 now. He's no longer a baby. He's yeah, 17? That's a good clarification. Yeah, oh I know. It's crazy. Wow. Crazy. Now, does he and ride? He, he does. He's real tall. He's six foot seven, so it's hard to find Whoa. a horse in his body. Yeah, he grew real fast. So, and I'm not very tall, so I don't know where that bloodline came from. But he, um, he's a big leggy kid, so he rides when we can find him a horse to fit him. But that's few and far between. Well, you know those, oh, uh, you know those, heart. those uh, bush horses. You need to go get one because one of those clients will be perfect. He, <laughs> but he, yeah. at the age of ten, after doing short stirrup and lead line, he declared he would no longer wear the funny pants. So he wanted to do Western, and so now he, he takes his cattle. So Clyde Fields would be fun, but probably not terribly effective for the job. Mm-hmm. Well, you can get him back into fox hunting, you know. You can find a nice, big, yeah. big heavy-boned horse for that. Yes, that's what I keep telling him. That's Although, you know, funny pants do. are in- involved, you know. Yeah, saying. and that's that funny pants thing. When you're 17, that's just... You know, not his favorite thing. Didn't you point him towards a pony club and say, look, there's like a hundred girls for every guy and they love guys in pony club? Did you explain I that did. to him? And he was, yes, and he was in bridal for, bridal for pony club for about a second. But he was the only boy and felt outnumbered. And so we tried for age and he pretty much just ended up being, uh, he was a whip, like a little junior whip for the Foxhounds for a while. And, and he just kind of hooked up with some cowboys in this neck of the woods and chased a bunch of cows with them, learned a bunch of dirty words and how to spit. <laughs> so the teaching is good. What's wrong with dirty words? No, j- wait, nothing. okay, hold on, never mind. <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing. So um, so what, so what? you're an eventer. Do you get to compete much these days? 
You know, I, I organized a horse trials here in St. Louis for a long time, the Queenie Park Horse Trials, which is a just a lovely, lovely trials. And so that sort of took me out of competition. I was also the Area 4 organizer representative for a while. And so that took me out of competition, and I teach. So I sort of put my students first. Um, although this year we've been doing a lot of schooling shows, so I have been taking some young stock and some of my going horses just to keep them leggy. And that's been fun. So, yes, I have returned to competition, not as much as I'd like, but I do get a lot of pleasure seeing my students compete and enjoying their successes as well. So it's okay. I still get my, my buzz, my competitive yeah, buzz. Yeah, you're, you're fulfilled. You're happy and you're satisfied. I am. Yes, so much. Yeah. That's what it's all about, you know? And it, it is. It's like you have to kind of be willing to be flexible. There's so much that can make you happy and that can satisfy you in the horse world and it's, I don't know, I just find that, right? You run into people and you're like, they don't actually have to be doing exactly what they they thought they were going to be doing. There's just so much enjoyment well, out of, like you said, it's not necessarily living vicariously through your students. It's, right. you're, be, you're happy that you can support them and you can, you're growing and learning with them. Yes, absolutely. And that's sort of the, the basis of my program. I work with mostly juniors and mostly girls. And um, it's interesting because, you know, we're taught through horses that plan A really never works. You have to have plan through Z or sometimes even to do the double letters because your best laid plans can always go awry. And um, and so, you know, you learn to be infinitely flexible and adjustable. And, uh, yeah, so when they get to compete, and if it works for me, it's great. If not, it's still great because I get to be there with them. And passing along that horsemanship to this next generation, I find, is incredibly important because... When I'm 80 years old and still wish to ride, I need somebody who knows safely, consciously, kindly what they're doing so I don't die. So it's a big deal to me to keep that moving with these kids, it's you know? It's all about you, Elise. That's right. Oh, yeah. I got to keep this good horseman going. That's funny. So, so yeah, I do. I, I really do enjoy the students. I, I love to teach. It's my favorite thing. I, I'm a biologist by training through university, and uh, I studied rattlesnakes. Uh, we use them in and just behavioral studies, whatever. It was really interesting, but boring. But I took it all and put it into horses, all that knowledge, because I didn't really think there was going to be a lucrative career in snake wrangling. So um, I put it all into horses. But it's funny because using behavioral training with horses, you almost also have to behaviorally train the humans to become sensitive to the behavior of the horses and to learn how to manage it and ask them through good training and good ethology how to do what you would like them to do, which is important when you're, you know, jumping big obstacles or doing tricky dressage or whatever, or okay. chasing cattle. Okay, wait a minute. We have to go back because I have to write this down because now we have another first. We have never had a snake wrangler on the air before, so that's another first <laughs> here for the Horse Radio Network. Yeah, I, I was. A, I'm a herpetologist by, by a training. What? By herpetologist. Herpetologist. Herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians, not herpes, which a lot of people <laughs> ask me about. <laughs> You beat him to the punchline. I love yeah, that. Yeah, you beat me to that. You I totally was, beat him to right the punchline. There, and you just took it away. Yep, sucked it right out of him. I big love hook you. From the side of the stage, <laughs> right off. Herpetologist. <laughs> so, you, so are turtles included in that? Right? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Reptiles. Turtles. Yes, ma'am. Reptiles. Right. Reptiles. So what snakes. What little girl grows up wanting to be a snake wrangler? Snakes well, I spent a lot of time outside. You know, my grandmother was a big outdoors woman. And, we uh, spent a lot of time outside, and I was fascinated with snakes and horses. I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know why. Most horse girls I know are petrified of snakes. So. Oh, yeah. And I have students that run screaming because, of course, we have snakes in the barn. You know, they eat mice. And uh, we see them a lot out here. We have a good diversity in Missouri. We have a healthy population of snakes and poisonous snakes. We have them here, too. And we see a lot of them, copperheads mostly, and a lot of screaming. A lot of screaming. And they always, of course, get a snake, ask me. And I do. So it works. Yeah, you're afraid of snakes, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of snakes. Uh, Jennifer, no, I would say you're not a big fan. You're afraid of snakes, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of snakes. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer's doesn't like spiders. She'll handle the snakes and I handle the spiders. So no, we, we, spiders, I don't do so well with either. Which really? is, you would think I'd be better, but I get kind of girly with spiders. These yep. two, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. These two, Coach Jen and Glenn McGeek, they're a trip and a half because she doesn't like spiders. He doesn't like snakes. She doesn't like <laughs> tunnels and he doesn't like bridges. It's wonder they get anywhere. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying. True. We, really have to, we have to plan our routes very carefully. They can't, yeah, they can't very be in the country. They can't be in the country. They can't be in the city. They can't get to the city from the country. <laughs> and yet we All love the obstacles. Okay, this isn't about me. This is about Elise. So, Elise, right, now right, I saw right. a picture on your Facebook page, and yes. we're going to use it in our show notes. People can go to staplescoop.com to see it. It's oh, a picture. It's one of your wedding pictures because you just got married. And, I did. And by the way, you look way too young to have any kid that's 17. I'm just saying. Oh, um, you're sweet. Very sweet. I'm old enough. 45. Old enough. Definitely don't look 45. So, um, <laughs> but you had a horsey wedding. I did. I had a very small wedding at my house. Um, I live in my grandparents' house, so I live against the Clydesdale breeding facility in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, it was my dream since I was little to ride my horse in a wedding. So I decided I would do it. And I didn't tell anybody except for my friends who were my bridesmaids and my groom who brought the horse. I was going to say your groom <laughs> was, was there, right? You told him, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, no, not the, not the groom that I married. My groom, you know, my horse groom. Oh, okay. Gotcha. The barn groom. <laughs> there were two grooms at the wedding, but one I married. Yeah. Every girl's fantasy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so, it, it was really neat because um, she's a really special horse. She's a funny little horse I bought about 10 years ago. She's half halflinger, half Holsteiner. So she's wow. a whole half. And she oh, is <laughs> the super all around girl. So I wanted to ride her in my wedding. And uh, it was really, really neat. It was really fun because she, she got out of the trailer down at a neighbor's house and she could see the Clydesdales in their paddocks, but she didn't call to them or make any noises. Like she knew she had to be real quiet on the DL so she could make her grand entrance with me. And she did. She was super quiet. And that's the first time, God, since I was like four or five, where I rode really kind of recklessly, not really, but I was in a dress, flip-flops, no helmet. And I thought, oh, good, here's the day I'm going to die, you know, get fucked <laughs> up on the road. But no, she was perfect, and it was lovely, and it was really neat because everybody kept saying, I can't believe you're not having horses at your wedding, and I would just smile and act real nonchalant. And then sure enough, I walked down the road with my girls, my son, all four of my dogs, and riding my sterling horse. Aww. It was really special. It was really neat. It was really fun. And it was neat, too, because my students were there, and you know all these people that sort of supported my horsey ventures through the years, instructors, my farrier was there, my veterinarian was there. It's kind of like a big barn party except for I got that's married. That's awesome. My fairy. Yeah, it was neat. That's, that's a horse wedding, all right. <laughs> what do you... Funny. My vet was there. My well, and Which is good because during the reception, she was in the backyard, in the fence part of my backyard, and she ate the crepe myrtle and the lilac bush. 
And I kind of panicked because I didn't know if that was like an appropriate pasture forage for my mare. And so thankfully, the vet was right there at the table and I asked her and she said, have you fertilized them lately? And I said, who has time to do that? No. And she said, then she's fine. <laughs> Perfect. It works out well. And no farm call. Now, is your husband horsey? Does he, what, how does that he work? Is he is, no, not, not by birth or by training, but by proxy now, he doesn't have much of a choice. He will ride if I really beg and plead, but I don't often, but he's great around the barn. He's super helpful with, you know, building things or fixing things. He's a wonderful stall cleaner and he's, he's good with the horses. He likes them and he's happy to support me and he comes and watches the kids at shows and stuff. So it's fun, but no, it's not, not necessarily a passion for him that's going to develop beyond you know, his wife's crazy hobby. <laughs> um, we just wouldn't make it work that way. Well, welcome him to the horse husband world for me. I uh, will. You know, we do have a, uh, we do, we have a Facebook page for people like him. It's horse husbands, <laughs> horse husbands unite. So, um, he can join that and, uh, join us over on Facebook. So just saying, I will tell him he yeah. would love that because he finds it funny. He said he's never met such a group of crazy women which is probably true, you know, at least non-institutionalized crazy women, because he goes to these horse shows and a lot of these women I've known, people I've known for years in this community, and we're all, you know, pretty unified and nuts about the horses. And, uh, boy, that's like trial by fire when you get into that, because he just sort of had to move into this community with me and deal with the crazies and the horses and the, you know, getting up at five in the morning, rush, 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 go, 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 clean, clean, clean. But he does very well with it. He's adapting well, I should say. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a, well. when did you get married? September 9th of last year. Okay, he, ha- he has time yet to get for it to get old. That'll happen this right. year. He has time yet. <laughs> oh yeah, nice way to think positive. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's spoken like a true horse husband. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we love our horse women. We I do. know, and you're good to them too. We're good to yes, them. we are. We have no choice, so they beat us with a stick. So, well, we're good. We're good at that. You know, yeah, we're good see, at getting the those big animals to move. Yeah, we and understand that's what I, our place. I, oh yeah, so I use that. You know, I use that training tool all the time with my son and my husband. You know, don't forget, I move 1,200 pound mammals around at will all day long. So, you are not that big or scary. <laughs> so there's a lot of like, you know, move your feet, especially my 17 year old who's a giant. I have to treat him just like a big horse sometimes. Well, at least, do you have a website for your business? Well, just like the cobbler's kids have no shoes, I do not. I am working on one, but writing bios is not my favorite thing. It always makes me feel sort of silly. So um, there is one in the works. I have somebody working on a new site for me. I just have to fill in the guts for it, which... But people can find you on Facebook if they... They can find me on on Facebook. Stable Manners. Mm -hmm. And I will will definitely put a link to that in our show notes and uh, so people can find you there. Great. Thank you so much for being a listener. We really appreciate you joining us today and telling us about your life. It sounds like fun out there in St. Louis. It is very fun in St. Louis. And thank you, too. I really appreciate you guys. And I really appreciate all your funny stories and all the people that you get on your show. It's nice. It's nice to have that. Because um, I'm in the car a lot, so I can listen to the podcast and I can keep laughing and learning and about new things and not uh, feel so left behind. And I'm very glad I'm glad to hear her say that, Helena, because it's one of our goals. You said laughing and learning, and you put laughing first, because that's always one of our goals. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Elise. Thanks. Thank Elise. you, Glenn. Thank you, Helena.
one of our sponsors that we absolutely love, and most of the hosts on the Horse Radio Network use this product every single day, and we, we would not... We would not do this task without them again. Wouldn't you say that? I just wouldn't do it without this particular item. Nope, wouldn't. And we're spoiled. I mean, we've gotten totally spoiled using the EquityMFG.com manure forks. Yeah, I want a set for my barn now. I, I want a set of four. <laughs> four? <laughs> I don't know why. Just because in case I have One a guest for each over. arm and foot? I no, well, no, you know, I'd like to have... Two for like, well, I'd like to have one for the backfield, one for the front field, and then two for the barn. Oh, so you don't have to move them around? You have them staged? Right. Like I'll have a little, for my because my back pasture is kind of far, not really far, like not by like, you know, (laughs) it's not like miles away, but you know, it's a couple hundred yards away. (laughs) But you know, I won't want to have to walk that distance. No, not with a pitchfork. Good heavens. No, that would just be like torture. Like, yeah. Anyway, but I think I just want four because you need four because these things are awesome. Well, you know, one of our listeners just bought uh, some, you know, she heard the ads and she said she wrote to me and said, I bought a three pack because you guys are saying that everybody always fights over them in the barn. And I just solved the problem from the beginning. I just bought three of them. Yep. And that's the way to do it, actually, because that's what happens. I know Reese and Philip, uh, uh, Reese, uh, co-host of the Dressage Show, Dressage Rider, she has uh, help in, the, in her barn. And she said, she said, when I'm in there, I use the fork and they're all mad <laughs> because they have to use the crappy cheap ones. Uh, so she said, now I have to buy more because everybody's getting really upset that, <laughs> that I hide it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you hide it. <laughs> You know what I didn't realize is that what? these things, the head on them, you know the, how the tines always break on the cheap ones you buy at uh, Tractor Supply? And the tines always break within the first month you get the thing, and then you're trying to sift it and around the hole, uh, which never works because poop always <laughs> goes to the hole. So, you know, these things have, the tines have a 13-month warranty. And if it breaks in the 13 months, he'll replace it. So Yeah. You Not know, that they need it. No, I haven't. You know, I've stepped on this thing. The horse has stepped on it. I've run it over. Now, he doesn't recommend doing that, running it over with your bobcat and stuff. But we've run it over. I've, I have caught it caught in roots and yanked the thing. I have used it to move logs. I mean, I have done everything you can to possibly try and break this thing, and I still haven't. So it's sturdy. It's tough. And it's great for cleaning outdoors, especially this time of year when the grass is long because of the suspension system built into it. It doesn't have the flicking problem. So... Check it out. There's two kinds. Get the if you clean more than three stalls a day, the rule of thumb is get the shaken fork. That is the one that does all the work for you. Press the trigger, it shakes and gets all of the bedding off, the clean bedding. So you save about half the amount of bedding and half the time. If you clean less than three stalls or you're cleaning paddocks, then you want the flexin fork. And uh, just go order them at equitymfg.com. Well, you have been horse shopping what seems like your entire life since I've known you. And <laughs> And uh, we have certainly done our share of horse shopping, and we bought horses in almost every which way you can over the years. So I found this list. It was on about.com, and it's done by Catherine Blackensdorf, Blackensdorf, and it's the top 10 horse or pony buying mistakes. So you want to hear about these, and we can chat about them a little bit. We'll see which ones we've done. Oh, I want to hear about them. (laughs) All right, here's number one, buying an untrained horse. Many experienced horsemen and women will tell you they see this too often because untrained horses are often cheaper or for whatever other whim, beginner riders will choose untrained horses. 
Don't buy an untrained horse if you plan to train it yourself and you're inexperienced. Training can take months. It can be dangerous if not done right. Blah, blah, blah. So we certainly have seen this. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I think if you do work with a trainer, it's great. It's a good revenue opportunity for your trainer. (laughs) We call that cash flow in the horse business. But if you don't have a trainer, yeah, leave the untrained horses where... You found them. Well, you know, we had a we had a student one time uh, years ago when we uh, twenty years ago now, and she was a part time student of Jennifer's. Came once a week or once every other week and took lessons. And then one day she decided to buy herself a horse without telling us, without even talking to Jennifer about it. She went out and bought a thoroughbred off the track. Went to the track, picked it up, or had it delivered home. Went to get on it the first time without. Again, not talking to her trainer. Oh, gosh. A very inexperienced rider. You know, maybe been taking lessons for three or four months. Uh, got on it for the first time. Of course, the thoroughbred promptly threw her off. She broke her neck on the wall that she Oh, jeez. And, uh, you know, oh, she was geez. out of commission for almost a year. Uh, the, obviously, the horse went back the next day, and she never talk, did anything with horses again. You know, it doesn't matter how much you tell people... You know, get help. Don't go look at a horse by yourself. Bring your trainer along. Yeah, it's going to cost you a few dollars, but it's going to save you a lot in the long run. Yeah, I mean, it's an animal. You're sitting on the back of an animal. You know, it's such a simple thing that you you think you would remember or you'd realize, but I guess you don't. Well, you I never know what you're going to get. When you I think there. in her situation, it was like, well, you know, you would have probably told me not to get it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's right. We would have. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's it's, an extreme example, but it's a true example, you know, that happened to us. Well, it's extreme, yes, but not unlikely. Right. It's happened you know, a lot. It's certainly, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the likelihood is pretty high. <laughs> you take, whew, okay. Well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so okay. that, that, uh, that's number one. Number two. Turning down older horses. An older horse who has, been, who has seen the world makes a great beginner horse. Beginners might shy away from the horse that's in their late teens and early 20s. However, many healthy, sound horses can be ridden well into their senior years. You and I personally have both bought older horses. Yes, I think they're amazing. I, they're, they're fabulous. You can't, you can't train experience into a horse you know, like you can buying an older horse with experience, with wisdom. Maybe I should say that. They have wisdom. They have the wisdom to keep you safe. Well, in the they, that's the one thing they tend to want to do, you know, is they, want, they tend to want to keep themselves safe, which is going to keep you safe. Right. Self-preservation. Yeah. That's what I loved about my, the quarter horses that I had. They just, they're all about self-preservation. And they were older. They were all, you know, over, well, older, over 12, 14, 15 years old. 17, 27. <laughs> well, when I bought my first driving pony, I didn't know a thing about driving. I barely had ridden. You know, this was after I met Jennifer. And I wanted to do something. And she said, why don't you try driving? So when I bought Piper, my first driving pony, and my lifetime pony, uh, she was almost uh, 18. And now we, she died at almost 40. And I drove her into her early 30s. So, you know, she was a terrific pony, and she knew, she just knew, she taught us how to drive. You know, and if I had gotten a youngster that was, you know, three or four years old, we would have had a very sorry experience, and who knows, I may not have been into it at all, 
because of the sorry experience. Right. But because I chose something that was going to teach us. And she had this thing where she threw her head when I do something wrong. And so I knew if I was doing it wrong, I, I just kept changing what I did until she stopped throwing her head. And then I was doing it right. So that she actually taught me how to drive that way. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, don't overlook the oldsters. No, no. And they, and they have a lot of years left because, well, you know, it's just like in people. What do they say? Like, you know, 40 is the new 30. Well, in horses, <laughs> 20 is the new 10. I think 50 is the new 30, but, you know. It's true. It's true. I'm going to live to be 103. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, three, buying a young horse for children to grow up with. You want to take this one? <laughs> Buying a young horse for children to grow up with. Well, you know what? Children are going to grow out of first. So that's that's the first mistake. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, it, if, you, if it's a pony, if it's a pony and you buy something, kids are just going to outgrow it. Well, not but if you that, buy like they're going to get hurt if it's a youngster that's untrained. Uh, you know, not their first horse. Now I have, you know, we have had situations where kids have, you know, we have teenagers that have been in the extreme Mustang makeover and done very well, but that was not their first horse. You know, they learned on the old safe pony, uh, until, you know, until they got to be a horseman, you know, even at a young age. Right. Well, you know, (laughs) Marion Kennedy has a song for that. It's called green on green makes black and blue. So, Green on green makes black, black on blue. blue. Yep. Black and blue. I mean, there's, you know, you, sorry, I can't find anything. <laughs> I said, I'm trying to like say, okay, well, there's a good, you know, maybe there's a reason somebody would do that, like a good reason, but there's nothing. You, you just, well, no. she has a sentence in here, buy a horse that knows how to handle itself when all the scary aspects of the world present themselves because a young beginner rider won't know how. And that just says it all right there. You yep. want the horse that's going to take care of your kid, not uh, them both uh, die together. So, right. yeah. Right. Buying at an auction. Let me read this. It takes a keen eye to pull a good horse out of an auction. Horses can appear docile at auction because they are so confused or heavily drugged. Uh, th- I added that. Th- things like heaves and lameness can be hidden easily with drugs. Yes, I would say if you're going by at an auction, we have bought my Piper, uh, we bought. All of my driving ponies have been bought at auctions. Uh, but Jennifer knows what she's looking for. She knows the sign. She knows what to look for. She, she, knows, she knows auction. She knows what they do. She knows the tricks they pull. So, you know, have we been? We have, you know, we bought a horse or two at an auction that uh, we have ended up bringing back to the auction. So, you know, we're, we were fooled, too. Uh, so you can't always, never trust what you see in an auction is the general rule. I won't even buy a horse at auction and... You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't even go to an auction without Jennifer. <laughs> but the thing about auctions is that you have to know not just what you're looking at, but what you don't see as well. You yeah. know, you need to have that like that third eye, they say, that intuition that fills in the blanks for you. Um and, you know, I was telling my veterinarian, uh, I'm down to one horse here at my farm and we're looking for something for Grace. And I thought it would be nice to um, head down to, you know, New Holland or something and pull a pony or a small horse out of the kill pen. And 
you know, the one piece of advice he said was just remember that when you get them home and you start to feed them and treat them with love and kindness, you could end up with a completely different horse than the one you found at the auction. And that's not, that's drugs aside. What he was really referring to was just the condition, like they're so beat down and they're so, the stress and all that stuff that they arrive at the auction house with, you know, they're just so depressed that you know, not even not even with drugs, they could come back a completely different animal. That is true. So, that's very true, actually. Yep. And that's the same for rescue horses, too. Uh, you, but you, that's not going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, rescue horses are that way, too. You really don't know what you're getting because they're not in full, you know, they're not they're not uh, fully a horse again until they're fed up and, you know, they got get to be a horse again. And, um, you know, now there's a business idea. There's a business idea. Somebody who, a a knowledgeable horse trainer who, knowledgeable, and I'm going to throw this word in there, trustworthy, who can take clients down to the auction houses and help them find a bargain because they know what they're looking for. That would be a great idea. That is a great idea. There you go. There you go. Impulse buying. Don't buy a horse on first sight. Try the horse out. Try it again. Ask lots of questions. Go home and think about it for a few days. Look at other horses besides the one you're smitten with and make comparisons. How many times have we seen this? We used to have our students that, uh, you know, especially teenage girls fall for this one. Eh, adult women do too, where they go and they fall in love. Well, they're falling in love with everyone, let's put it. And they're falling in love with every guy they meet at that age too. So, you know, this, it's not uncommon that this happens, but it, it is something that uh, gets them in trouble. They end up with horses that uh, were not a match. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard. Horses are an emotional purchase. It's it's hard to separate that. Again, this is why it's helpful to bring somebody along who knows what they're doing. Somebody who can be like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's bad for you. He's the Johnny Depps of the world. Now, uh, not asking for a trial period. Don't be afraid to ask the seller for a trial period. Most private owners want their horses to go to good homes and are confident about the type of person they feel can handle the horse. Some of them won't let you take the horse away. You have to come to their barn to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, dealers, you can tell a dealer, especially if you're responding to Craigslist ads, because they're the ones that say, oh, nope, you got to take it. I got 25 other people lined up to take this horse. Well, let the other 25 have it. Um, you know, just be careful with that. Uh, and you can spot a dealer a mile away. Yep. So, uh, buying a horse to breed. Do you want to buy a horse so you can breed it and have a foal? Before you do, visit an auction where horses are destined for rendering or meat. Pay attention to how many look like the result of backyard breeding experiments. Consider if you can live with this outcome for the horse you have brought into the world. Uh, you know, I know you and Jamie both have strong opinions about breeding. So, you want to very strong this? opinions. You want to take this one? <laughs> very strong opinions. No, I mean, there's really not too much to be said. You said it all. Like, Go down and stand, go down to a rendering plant or go talk to any of the horse rescue groups. Go see for yourself before you, before, I have a big problem with breeding anything. There's just too many, there are too many older horses out there. Right. And there's a lot of fixable problems too. You know, a lot of people want to breed horses because they want to start fresh. You know, it's like buying a new car versus a used car. You don't want to inherit somebody else's problems or whatever. It's so much less expensive to have some x-rays done or a full veterinary workup than it is to even breed a horse or to put the money into training a horse. Just 
Go get something that's used. Go pull something out of the kill pen and have your vet, you know, spend $900,000. You'd spend way more than that on breeding fees and on purchase prices. And you can get yourself something really nice. Oh, yes, don't breed. Buying a horse that is too much horse. You may envision yourself jumping five feet, uh, concrete culverts on a cross-country event. However, the reality is you've only been riding six months and you haven't jumped at all. So, uh, you know, probably the high-performance uh, sports car uh, when you, with your first car is not a good idea. Every single time the 16-year-old will wreck it. So <laughs> that is a good analogy, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Sixteen-year-old. <laughs> it's a good analogy, though, isn't it? Your brand new driver always wrecks the sports car. Yep. Yep. So keep that one in mind. I don't think we have to talk about that one. Buying a horse of a particular color. This is an interesting one. Uh, while it is perfectly reasonable to want a special coat pattern, like with a paint or Palomino or Appaloosa, it's not wise to buy buy for color only. Don't base your decision on the color. If the mind and training aren't suitable, when you're buying a car, the adage is you don't drive the paint. <sighs> I know your emotion comes out in this one, doesn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, because I believe in pretty is as pretty does. So yeah, I mean, you've never picked horses really by by looks. You've picked oh my god, no. You no, really maybe, maybe by confirmation and how I think they might ride. Yeah, but not know? that they were beautiful, you know, or pretty. No. Yeah. But when you get there, like I fell in love with pie because I, I got there and I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa. I mean, he was definitely driving a Ferrari. I got there and, and I was like, oh, he's super cute. And of course, he was super personable. And then you get on him and it is very much like driving the Ferrari. So I took the Ferrari home. And I tried to take it four wheeling. <laughs> okay. So that, yeah, pretty is as pretty does. So, but then there are people, you know, I have to say that there are people who maybe ride, you know, in Western pleasure or they show, you know, paints, they do specific breed classes where color is important. Where so I can understand that there are some people who are immersed in those worlds where, where coat color and pattern would be kind of important. I did the uh, same thing. I bought a uh, hackney pony, and I was a, I was a more experienced driver at that point. But I bought a hackney pony, and boy, that pony almost we almost had a few, many accidents because <laughs> it was like driving a Ferrari. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I was because he was cute. That's the reason I bought him. Um, so I've made that mistake. Isn't that why you married your wife too? <laughs> yeah, Jennifer wouldn't ride with me in the cart with that pony. She said, oh, that's too dangerous. I'm not doing it. I'm not getting in there." <laughs> <laughs> so number 10 not considering the time and expense of horse care well i think that's pretty much given we've talked about that one in the past obviously the most expensive part of buying a horse is not buying the horse uh that's the cheapest part of buying a horse so yes. we've talked about that one well that's that's cool well those are the top 10 that was put out by about about.com katherine blockensdorf wrote that and uh so i thought it'd be fun to talk about latelina today one of the, the other th quick things, and then we're going to get to our tack and habit segment, because you have a product, right? I do. Yep. Uh, is bidding for the 2018 World Equestrian Games has been reopened because the FEI had one bid <laughs> for the first round, and it was the Canadians. And apparently the Canadians couldn't prove that they had enough money, so they declined the Canadians and said, we're going to have to open it up again. Now, the problem with that is there were like... <laughs> There were like 10 countries who bid in the first place, and all of them have pulled out. 
because they couldn't find the money or they were, you know, for whatever reason, they've pulled out of the bidding. They, the only ones left were the Canadians. So now the Canadians are allowed to be part of the second round of bidding, and they just need to come up with uh, very secure financing that they know they can get. You know, obviously they were disappointed because they thought, you know, that they had it wrapped up. They were the only ones. It's sort of like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, you know, you're running for office and nobody's running against you and you lose. Yep. So, <laughs> um, yep. And, you know, it's very expensive to do the World Equestrian Games. Uh, Kentucky lost a hundred and some million dollars doing it. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that countries end up backing out uh, is because it's just so expensive. You know, it's just there were, you know, as I said, there were five countries. Uh, Morocco was bidding on it, uh, Canada, Budapest, Hungary, Vienna, Austria, and Wellington, Florida. Well, Wellington, Florida, they're having big battles over what's allowed to be down there or not with the... With the yeah, uh, yeah, that's just, just a hot mess. There, there's a political nightmare going on down there, so they pulled out. Vienna, Austria pulled out. Uh, uh, Budapest, Hungary pulled out. And then Morocco pulled out because the lady that was in charge of the committee that was trying to get this done was a princess there, and she died, and nobody else cared. So they pulled out. So, you know, it's like, who's going to come in now? You know, that it's round two when nobody wanted to be in round one. <laughs> so, yep. I don't know. We'll see if we have a World Equestrian Games in 2018. So that's the politics going on there. But all right, let's take a break for commercial, and we're going to come back with our Tack and Habit segment. Helena has got a product. <laughs> Do you have a company in the horse world? Are you looking to get the word out about your products, services, or shows? At the Horse Radio Network, we understand our advertisers need to reach the equestrian consumer in the most efficient, cost-effective way possible. Internet radio shows like this one, also called podcasts, allow the flexibility and creativity to craft unique messages that stand out from the herd and reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. If you want to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact our account manager, Lisa, at 847-790-4476. That's Lisa at 847-970-4476. 4476, or you can drop her an email at lisa at horseradionetwork.com. Our listeners are terrific, engaged, and avid horse people, the ones that you are looking for. Well, Helena's latest adventure at Hidrenyan Farm <clears throat> is actually, this has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to keep my own personal horse barefoot and then, if necessary, put boots on, hoof boots instead of shoes. I know that there are all kinds of arguments for and against shoes. I've read all the articles and all the supporting information for both. I prefer to keep my horse barefoot when, whenever possible, but I also understand that, you know, my horse gets ouchy when you're walking on gravel or roots and rocks and stuff like that. So um, we had a lameness issue about two, three weeks ago, and I had the vet out and spent way more money than I 
could afford to figure out what the problem was, and the problem is tender feet. Now, Brody has soles that are um, they're perfectly appropriate in thickness to protect his feet. They're, it's not like he has thin soles. Um, but when it's moist here, I mean, we are on the coast, so there's a lot of moisture in the grass even when it doesn't rain. And, of course, we have grass. Um, I do have a sand barnyard, whatever, but it tends to soften the feet. So they're going to be a little bit more sensitive. So it was time, finally time for me to invest in a pair of hoof boots. And I had been looking and asking around uh, for advice on which, you know, what was the preferred brand. And I got absolutely no consensus. <laughs> no <laughs> consensus. People either like the Cavallos or the Easy Boots, the Old Max. So I decided to go with the Easy Boot brand. And of the Easy Boot models, for lack of a better word, I went with the Easy Boot Glove. And the reason I went with the Easy Boot Glove is because there is pretty much no hardware involved. And the hoof boot fits very snugly on the actual hoof wall. It covers the sole and the the hoof wall. And um, it doesn't go up as high as the coronary band. And there are no wires or cables or clamps or anything like that. It's just you have to get a really good fit. But once you get a good fit, it stays on nice and snug. And it does come with what's called a gaiter, which is just a you know piece of neoprene with Velcro that comes up along the pastern and secures around the pastern to, uh, to help keep the boot from flying off, really. you know. Um, and I love them. I absolutely love them. My horse has no problem wearing them. They are really easy to put on. They're challenging enough to take off because you don't want them to come off. Um, you just have to get the technique down. It doesn't require a lot of... Uh, strength. It just requires finesse. And um, they're just the right amount of protection to keep his feet happy. He steps up nicely. He moves out nicely, whatever you want to call call it. Um, he doesn't avoid gravel or pavement the way he used to. And they're easy to keep clean. Just hose them down and dry them out. And do you know what the price is? Um, Stateline Tack offers them. You can get them pretty much anywhere, um, you know, the big retailers online. But Stateline has them for about $61.99, $62. And, um, for a pair? For each. each? Okay. They're sold in eaches. Yes, they are expensive. They are expensive. But think of how much money you save in shoes. <laughs> true. Seriously, true. you know. Yeah, that'll, the shoes will cost you that much, though. So. so let's say when all is said and done, you spend 100 and $20, $130 on a pair of hoof boots, of front hoof boots. That's one shoeing. And these boots you'll have for, I'd say, a couple of years, unless you're a heavy-duty, you know, endurance rider. Or I've not hunted in them yet, so that's what we'll see. We've just done some some quiet hacking. Um, I hope to put them to the test on trails in the next week. And then if all goes well, well I might try hunting in them. Very good. Cool. Yep. So. Easy boot glove hoof boots. And um, you can find them. I would just go to easyboot.com, Valley Bet. They all carry them. So they're Helena approved? Big time Helena approved. Cool. Yep. Very good. Yep. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate you being here. And uh, thank you to all our listeners out there. You know, if you, would, if you would like to be highlighted on the show, just drop us a note. And we'll try and uh, do a, like a listener highlight like once a month. 
Um, and, you know, thanks to Elise for joining us, and, and we appreciate her letting us all know about what she's up to out there in the Middle West. Don't forget about the Battlecast this Sunday, July 7th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to horseradionetwork.com. You'll see a big banner in the middle of the page. And thank you to all of our other sponsors as well. And thank you, Helena. Don't forget, you can hear Helena also on Wednesday mornings over at Horses in the Morning. It looks like Jamie's coming back Mondays and Fridays to start. Uh, she was back uh, uh, Monday for the first time, but uh, she's leaving you do Wednesdays for a while. So, Yeah, she needs a baby time. Yeah, she's just. this is a test to see how it all works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, so catch Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings on Horses in the Morning. You can go to horsesinthemorning.com for all the details about that. And you can hear Alina. We play the equitymfg.com Wheel of Trivia, where you can win some great prizes. Just call in, answer a simple, well, answer a trivia question, <laughs> and you could spin the simple wheel. Simple yes, easy no. <laughs> to win some great prizes. We had some winners last week. Yeah, and, uh, and you know what? At the very least, you learn something. That's true. I always learn something. Last yeah. week, uh, we asked a question that neither one of us knew the answer to, and Jennifer had to help us. <laughs> Which one was that? Remember the poll one? We were like... Uh, oh, we knew the answer, but we were all messed up yeah, over it. That we was kind like, of, yeah, that we were all answer? kind of arguing over the answer. But Yeah, it was like so simple. <laughs> and we were like, what? Where's what? the poll again? Yeah. Is it between the ears, at the base of the neck, the head, the skull, <laughs> and his teeth? What? We almost had to get a vet on to, uh, to clarify <laughs> I have to call Wendy. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. And uh, find all of our show notes at StableScoop.com. Yeah. We'll be back next week. Until then, happy scooping.